0: Second Peter. Is Harrison in the room? There's no Harrison, is there? Harrison, Harrison, you're not here? Okay. Or Elizabeth? Elizabeth, who I met last week? No? Okay, very good. All right, so you guys, here's what we're doing. For the last couple of months, we've been walking through the books of the New Testament one at a time. One one a week. And if you have missed it and you wanted to catch up on them, I have two resources for you. First of all... Every week, we produce a one-page, two-page summary of each book of the New Testament. shows you the text we were looking for. Okay, every week we do uh, a new thing, and all the past weeks are up here. And then if you've got one of those little yellow cards, a couple of folks have asked me for these on PDF, just to kind of get the digital file. So I put those all in a folder so you can find them here, whatever this is, tinyurl.com ntsummaries. I will warn you, though, um, most of them are printed on a ledger paper, 11 by 17, and that's just a pain in the butt. And I don't think you can print from these PDFs onto regular paper. So they're fine if you want to look at them on your, you know, uh, you, what do you call it, iPad or something. Um, but otherwise, just, I'll print them. We've always got them here, so you can grab them. You're welcome to grab them digitally. This will be a little bit less useful. And then the audio is all here. This is the Sunday School class that kind of captures our discussions on these. So those resources are available to you whenever you want them and grab them. What's up, buddy? Hey. Good Thank to see you. Thank you. All right, so this week we're going to be doing Second Peter. What, do we, did we do, what did we do last week? It all blurs. Well, did we do First Peter last week or something else? <laughs> What? We didn't, do, we didn't do Acts last week. That was like the two months ago. Matthew. Okay, but we did 1 Peter like a couple weeks ago, I guess, right? Okay, so we're going fi- to finish up the Peter set by looking at 2 Peter. And 2 Peter, you guys, of all the books we've looked at so far, I feel like 2 Peter is maybe the simplest, most direct, most obvious. If you read it, what I, what I always try to do, as you know from these documents, is just not, there's very few words for me on here. I just try to put the text in, but I try to organize it and bold it so you can see what the message is. My goal is when you go back and you read 2 Peter, so 2 Peter is only three chapters. It would take you like eight minutes maybe to read it. And if, when you read it though, I want you to be like, oh, it's all true. There it is. And here's what you're looking for. It's very obvious if you read 2 Peter the whole thing. Peter's keen interest, what he's desperately talking about over and over and over again, is knowledge. It's information. It's true things. It's things that you should remember. It's things that you should not forget. It's data. It's truth. It's knowledge. Okay? Over and over and over again. So when you read through 2 Peter, I kind of listed a bunch of these passages and highlighted these terms. He uses words like, he says things like this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So if you are seeking, if you need grace and peace, Peter's saying the source, the means, the box that carries the grace and peace is information. There's things that you can know, right? He says this. This is, I think, the central verse in 2 Peter. It says this. Are you guys particularly murmuring today? What is happening? Okay, you're doing great. Okay, he says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's a pretty big promise. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Well, great. Where do I go to find the life and godliness? What is the container that contains everything I need for life and godliness? Next line. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, again, through these promises, this data, this words that he has said, you can do these two really weird things. Participate in the divine nature, number one. And number two, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay? Now, this is going to be, he's gonna, this is going to pervade what Peter's going to talk about. He's going to use a range of vocabulary for this, but over and over and over he's going to do this. Does anybody happen to have, does anybody know the Greek word for knowledge. You might have it, uh, it, it... It bleeds into English a little bit. Do you know this? Yeah, John, I'm sure you do. Gnosis, Gnosis right? So it's G-N-O-S-I-S. If you know the word agnostic means agnosis. No knowledge, right? Um, the Gnostics is a, is a kind of mm, worldview cultish thing with like specialized knowledge, okay? But usually what Peter is going to say here is not merely gnosis but he's going to he's going to put a little uh, prefix on it. Anybody know this? The prefix on gnosis that John uses? It's epi, epi, epinosis. And what epinosis means, it goes from being just data, merely data, just raw information to this kind of it basically means like knowledge upon it's an experiential knowledge. It's not just that I memorize this thing. Lots of memorize. You know, you might have had to memorize the Ten Commandments. You might have had to memorize any number of things. What, what, did I say, John, what Peter is talking about is epi Is that there is this knowledge that transcends just your head. It's not less than your head. There's stuff you need to know. I and mean, you, You'll see the, the language he uses. But then it becomes a knowledge that wraps up your life. That you surrender to it. You experience it. You try it. You've, you've, you've proven through your own life experience that it's real, that is what he's talking about. You've got to have the information, but then you have to interact with it. You have to receive it into yourself. Robin? I think
1: there's even another layer.
0: Go a little, click up higher.
1: I think there's another layer to that. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That is our teacher, right? And he is he's the source of that knowledge. And so we have not just what we're gaining in our head but we have this we have this presence that's also bringing that knowledge and making sense
0: out of it yeah what robin is saying is that is there's not if if we take this into a strictly not even materialistic strictly intellectual place right there's knowledge that's just data and what I'm saying is, but that knowledge, that intellectual thing has to affect your volition. It has to affect your emotion. It has to become part of you. And Robin is saying, yeah, but it's also not even, that's still very individualistic. There's another party involved, the Holy Spirit. And take a look. And Robin's exactly right. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, we did that, right? We did 1 Corinthians already? Go to 1 Corinthians and look at what he's going to say. Uh, we'll go to chapter 2. One of the central texts on the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2 is about this intersection between information and the Spirit of God. He says this. Uh, let's see. Verse 11 say, For who among men knows, again, knowledge, the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except by the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand What God has freely given us. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to light this up. So it's like, oh, I get it. And we've all had that experience where somebody tells you something and it's like blah, blah, blah. And then the penny drops, the light comes on. You're like, oh, 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 that's what you're saying. That is a particular work of the Holy Spirit. He not only did he inspire the writing of this book, this thing that contains all this knowledge, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and knowledge through our knowledge of him, called us by his own glory and goodness. All of that, that thing that Peter, that corpus of data, of information that Peter's talking about was written by the Spirit. But then it's also, according to Paul here in 1 Corinthians, it's illumined by the Spirit. He lights it up, right? He says, uh, where where was I? Um, Verse 13, this is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. why? Because it's total idiocy to him, they are foolishness to him and he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. right? So Robin's exactly right. this when Peter is all about knowledge, data, information, not remember not forgetting, but remembering, We'd, all be, we'd be toast if we were doing that absent the illuminating work of the Spirit of God. He lights it up so that we can see it, so that it makes sense. He convicts our hearts to receive it. All those things are true. Absolutely, okay? Now, as you read through Peter, keep just look at this, though. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, because, of course, we know a lot of stuff that we forget. Have you noticed this, right? There's this truth that you have. He's like, uh, he's like, Peter has his own knowledge. He wants them to always remember things. And then he's going to say this. This is very important. As you go through, if you you take this, by the way, what I'm hoping you might do is take this document. This is for every book of the New Testament. Some of you maybe are collecting these. Somebody mentioned they're keeping them in a trapper with a trapper keeper, right? Do you remember the days? This is like classic 80s high school, the trapper keeper. Was it you, Helen? Were you the one that's using it? I'm Is that what you're doing? Okay, so... But what I really want you to do is transfer this into your actual Bible, right? You can go through your Bible and look. Go, next time you read Second Peter, maybe this week, just underline knowledge, 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 know, remember, truth, information, right? Grab all those so that this stuff, you're basically creating an annotated study Bible with all these things just embedded in, okay? If you do that, one of the things that you're going to find is it's not just random data, but he's very particular. Peter's going to be very insistent that you remember the things that we told you, right? Remember, oh, and by the way, not just that I told you, me, me being Peter, but Peter's going to say, oh, Paul's the same way. You've got to remember Paul's letters. So you need to remember the things that Jesus said. And he's going to just constantly go back to this, right? And when he does, this is going to be, I think this is a really interesting thing. Peter is going to say this. Look, look down in the, like two-thirds of the way down that first column. He says, we did not follow Cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Does anybody know what he is talking about when he says that? When he says, We were not making this up, what was he saying? I'm going to give somebody else a crack at this, John. I'm sure you know. I know you know. Who else? What is he talking about? You want to take a guess, Lily?
1: He's pagan
0: he is not refuting pagan mythology. Peter, Peter, look at it in context. It might be a little bit more obvious to you if you go to the context. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Transfiguration. There you go, Ray. Say it loud. The transfiguration. It was. Listen listen to how he, or not 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter 1. Listen to what he says. The context will be more helpful. Oh, hang on. I'm stuck in 1 Peter. He says... (laughs) Where the heck does he say it? He says, verse 16, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look at the next line. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Jesus, all, all three of the synoptic gospels reference this. We, we call it the transfiguration. It's the moment where, Peter, where Jesus takes Peter. Remember who was there? John. John. Peter, John, and who? And James. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and who else? Elijah. Elijah and Moses, okay? So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up on this mountain on this little private field trip, and then while they're there, Elijah shows up, Moses shows up, but what was the most startling thing that happened? He just lights up, right? And I, I think the way we understand that is that in some way, when Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, right? Philippians 2 says that he, though he, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. The Greek term for this is the, the kenosis. That in some way, Jesus, who is fully God, either veiled his godness in some regard, or he... He undressed from his, from the, the full glory of his deity, and something happened. And there on the mountain, it unhappened. And what Peter, James, and John had in that moment was a more real picture of Jesus than they had ever seen before. And it was such a startling event. Elijah shows up, and that's weird. And Moses shows up, and that's weird. And perhaps they're all pleased to be on the inner circle, that they're the three of the twelve that got to come. But the thing that blew them away is that in some regard, Jesus pulled back the curtains and he revealed himself, right? The way that Peter characterizes it again, listen to it. He says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. We heard the voice on that sacred mountain. That moment for Peter is what basically for him is like, It's all true. I pr- I'm not making this up. I was there. I saw, like, reality split, and Jesus stepped through the crack, and and something happened there, okay? And we're not making this up. It's all true. And then he says, and that, by the way, prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. What he's saying there is that we always knew Isaiah was true, and we've read Daniel, and we've read the books of Moses, and we believe that it was true. But you're not listening to me. I'm telling you, it's all true, Because I was there and I saw Elijah with my own eyes. And Jesus lit up. So it's all true. Do you understand what he's he's doing here? That moment was so galvanizing for Peter. That this stuff is real. And you have got to pay attention. Don't treat this like it's just one more book on on the shelf. This knowledge, this information, this wisdom, this is what we must understand. Stop treating this like it's just another book. There's more going on here than you can possibly imagine. I saw reality fracture. We we've got to get this. You with me? That's what drives through this whole book. If you keep going through this front page, we didn't follow stories. We were with him on the mountain. Hey, we've escaped corruption by knowing things. It would have been better for those that have known the way of righteousness and then walked away the and never to have known it. He says, I want to remind you of this. You must understand these things. These bad guys, we'll come back to the bad guys in a minute. They deliberately forget, but you must not forget. You need to bear in mind. You need to recognize wisdom. You need to understand. You need to know. You must do this. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Okay? So, I've said it a thousand times, but the reason we're doing this whole thing, this whole study, is not just so you can get the cliff notes of a bunch of New Testament books, but because I want you to develop the habit, deepen the habit, continue the habit, spread to others the habit, that I'm just going to be in this book. That in 10 years, I'm going to know it better than I know it today. And in 20 years, I'm going to know it better still. That I will make it a point that... The flow of these, of all of these books. We're doing New Testament. It's true for the old. I just don't have the courage to actually commit to doing every single book in the Bible yet. Okay, but for the New Testament, for the time being, like you could know this book. You could. I could wake you up in the middle of the night and say, "What is Second Peter about?" And you'd be like, "Ah, it's about knowing stuff. It's about not forgetting stuff. You could remember that. That I could ask you. You know, in a month or in six months or in nine months or in five years. Hey, what's the main flow of? I don't know. Pick a book that we've done. What's the main deal going on in First Peter? What, could you say it? Could you answer that? What's First Peter about? Give me like, what's the essence of it? What is it? Hope is good. Strangers and aliens is excellent. How about one more key term that'll summarize that book? Suffering. Okay, that was a fantastic summary of First Peter, right? But then, could you also take that and say like, but I, but I've actually applied it because in my life, I need hope, right? Because in my life, I sometimes feel like an alien and a stranger, and when I don't feel like an alien and a stranger, it almost makes me wonder, what's wrong? Am I capitulating? And when I find myself suffering, do I know where to go in the scriptures to find that hope that matches to suffering?? Right? Because this, because you are convinced, you're convinced that God has given you everything you need for life and, life and godliness. And the place that he gave it to you is through your knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and goodness, right? That those great and precious promises that he has embedded in his word, you're like, I want them. I'm going to memorize them. I'm going to believe them. I'm going to live as if they're true because I know that I need help to escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And I don't actually know what it means to participate in the divine nature, but it sounds fun, and I want to do that. And so I'm going to become one of the people walking around this planet that knows this book, I I eat it. It is what Jeremiah says. I ate your words, and they were sweet to me because I'm just going to take it in every day. And as Quig likes to say, the three things you need to have, Quig, if you're going to have daily time on the Scriptures, what are they? A time, a place, and a method. A time, a place, and a method. A time, a place, and a method. I'm just going to lock it in so that it's not been a week and two weeks and three weeks and eight weeks and 12 weeks since I last cracked this book. I'm going to know it. Alright, that is what Second Peter is all about. It is a great big call. All the information, all of the data that is not just intellectual, but is epinosis around my life, that the Spirit lights up. I'm gonna drink it, I'm gonna take it, and it's gonna change my life and the lives of those around me. You with me? Yeah. That is what Second Peter is about. But there is a villain. Do you know what is the villain of Second Peter? It's false false teachers. Who said that? Robin, it is about false teachers. So on the one hand, Peter is saying, know this stuff. Don't remember this stuff. We're not making this up. But he's going to say, but somebody is making stuff up. And you need to not listen to them because they are liars. They are wrong. They're filling your head with nonsense. Don't read the bad books. Or, 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 if you read the bad books, read them with discernment. I'm not a big censorship guy. I like to know what the bad guys are saying. But I'm not going to read it in the same manner. I'm not going to take it into me. I'm going to say, you know, this is, what, this is what you have said. This is what the other guys have said. I'm going to read their stuff discerningly, if at all. Right? Flip the page here. Go to the back. And you'll see what he does with, his, with the false teachers. His whole point. We are telling the truth. They are lying. Okay, look at the, you'll see the parallel here. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Four, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We're telling the truth. But look at that. If you look over the, kind of the end of the second column, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Peter means that as a direct contrast. We're not making this up. They are making this up. It's all garbage. Don't believe them. Okay? He's going to say, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He said, there's nothing new. Have you noticed this? This is not a new teaching. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Denying even the sovereign Lord who bought them. Bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. Okay. He gives you a clue about the false teachers. What can you tell from that paragraph... Tell me some of the things that you observe about the false. In fact, let's do this in your tables, okay? So just go to your, within your groups. Just from that paragraph alone, I want you to come up with a list of as many things that are salient important things about the false teachers just based on that paragraph, okay? There's a couple things that I want to make sure that we become mindful of, okay? What is true about the false teachers? Take just take, you know, 2 minutes to kind of read that paragraph together and draw some of the things out that he's saying. Okay. Oh, okay. The, they are lying. This one. You're looking at this paragraph that I just read right here. Top right of the back page. <laughs> I'm gonna make some notes. So what do you notice? Just give me some observations about these false teachers. Okay, wait, wait, hang on. What somebody yelled. What? False teachers. What do you notice? Dan? Joel Olstein. Okay. Now why No, he does he's not mentioned here, right? Right? Right. right. Well, okay, and he, and let me I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard me say this before, but I'm a little, I mean, truly, genuinely, a little bit defensive on behalf of Joel Osteen. I'm not kidding. I'm not at all kidding. Because Joel does not, I, I th- here's, what I think, here's, my, here's my hot take on Joel Osteen. If that guy just would stop pastoring a church, I mean this quite sincerely, um, but if he just had like a Friday night group where he has got together and encouraged people, I think we'd like him, right? His stuff is, he does not actively deny things that are biblical truths, or if he does, I haven't seen it. I don't know, that hands frightens me. What he does is he just, he just doesn't bring up a whole bunch of stuff that's really relevant, right? But if he was just like, he ran some self-help group, I think that'd be good. Am I wrong? Have you heard him say things different than that?
1: This is just kind of a side topic, which is how we got here in the first place. Yeah. Saying that so much of what we have to watch out for in falsity is someone will say a thing that is true right that's a piece of the pie right and they add this other stuff and because you know the one thing is true right then you're so gullible to eat the whole pie
0: right right so the most so the most effective way if you guys are taking notes on how to become a better liar the most effective (laughs) strategy is to mingle in the truth right so, that, you know, you say something that's true, and I believe that, and then you say something that's not true, and I'm not, I'm not paying attention, and I miss the transition, okay? Now, it, I have not, I don't think I've ever heard a Joel Olstein sermon, for being honest about this, but I have read some of the stuff that he has written, and my, my sense of it is that it's just, he's just super nice, he's super encouraging. His, his, his shtick is like, only be nice, all the time, no matter what, right? And that's not the worst thing in the world for a human being to be. However, if you are a pastor, there are other things you've got to say that people may not like, right? And so he, we give him a, we our our tribe tends to give him a lot of grief for being a um, an ear tickler, right? But what I have seen of him is he tends to be appealing to people that are sorrowful, discouraged, frightened, depressed, and there's a lot of those people, right? There's a lot a lot we I am one of them, right? I mean there's a lot of us. And so his 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 positivity there's value to that. I have not ever seen him, he may have, again, I'm, not, I'm not a scholar of Joel Osteen by any means, but I've not seen him deny essentials of the faith. There are other guys that I think, they're not just ear-tickling, but they are specifically, well, you tell me, what did you see? What, what, what do you notice in this paragraph that is true of the false teachers? Jennifer? Um, what jumped
1: out was denying the sovereign Lord, and I think some of these other things that people were talking about oftentimes say,
0: Yes. So that's what the default is of it, that it's not you're going to make yourself better, which obviously choices can contribute to that. Yep. The sovereign God is here and everything else. Yes. That's what I'm going to that. Very good. Denying the sovereign Lord who bought okay. Very much there's this there's this ultimately a denial of the the right and power of God to tell us about reality and to tell us how to live. Right, and there's that's a huge factor, and we're going to see that Peter's going to specify that a little more clearly too. What else do you notice about false teachers, Bob? The methodology of it
1: being secretly introduced.
0: That's right. There's always something sneaky, right? It says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Okay, so let's stop that. What's a heresy? First of all, we can throw that term around. Anything we disagree with is a heresy, but. Or you could live in a world where there are no heresies. Everything is just, all ideas are equal. But what, what, is, what is a heresy? Is it a false teaching? Okay. Is every, but, okay, so if, let's just say that it's really true that you're allowed to baptize infants. Okay. Is it a heresy to say that you can only baptize believers? Let's just say that it's true that the charismatic gifts, the supernatural gifts are still operative. That's true. Is it a heresy to say that they're not? Let's just say that it's really true that um, God reserves specific biblical teaching for men and w- for, for men uh, in an authoritative context. Is it a heresy to say no? Okay, at what point are those just, can you be mistaken without being a heretic? What, what's a heresy? Kat? This
1: is something that's like exactly contradictory to the truth.
0: Exactly contradictory to the truth. Okay, well, so let's just go baptism.
1: A baptizing is like the opposite of like baptizing
0: Okay, so would it be a heresy then you're suggesting to say that you're not allowed to baptize anybody or something? I not
1: baptize like non or people that are like saying that they don't.
0: Okay, okay. So direct opposite, all right. Is that what we think? Heresy? What's a heresy? Maybe it's a- son on heresy. sea. This is dangerous. I don't know, man. We're gonna go on to the next person, just in case. No, yeah, Harrison. Maybe uh, it's Being wrong about something so uh, grave and so like crucial to the gospel that you're you might be missing out on the whole thing. That's good. Okay, so it's, there's not just there's how clear is it, or you know how opposite over are we, but how central is it, right? So I don't know. The Bible says I don't know. That Jesus fed 5,000 and if somebody's like no 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 I think that there were um that that wasn't counting the women and children he probably fed 12,000 you're like yeah I don't really care right it's not particularly important but you would say there are some things like what the trinity to deny the triune God the deity of Christ salvation by faith there are things that you would say are more so there's a kind of almost a triage this is really important and then they become less important as we get out from that center Okay, I like that. That's good. Catherine? What about
1: what the devil said to Jesus when he quoted Scripture? And because it's like a little twisting, a little bit off, he can be just a hair off
0: on
1: Scripture. And is that heresy? Or what about saying there's no resurrection? Is that it?
0: Yeah. Okay, this is exactly what we're trying to tease out. So we could say, I think... When Satan's strategy is always to mix the truth with lies. He is a liar. He's a, stra- uh, he's a strategic liar. So he's going to mix things that are true. But ultimately, it's going like to lean away to this thing. I like where Harrison is taking it. That ultimately, if you deny, there are things that are essentials of the faith. Um, and we would identify those pretty much as like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Those, those, are, those, are, those are giving us essentials of the faith. In particular, in the category of ortho, what's the rest of that sentence? orthodoxy, okay? Orthodoxy, what does that mean, Quig? Straight teaching. Straight teaching. And what is its companion that we don't talk about as much, you know? Heterodoxy. Orth- okay, so heterodox would be the non orthodox it'd be heretical. And then if we go the other direction, it's orthopraxy, how we behave. And so the creeds are built around, it's, it's, this is an interesting phenomenon, the creeds are built around orthodoxy these are the essential things that we must believe. It was basically organized because of the things that were challenged. At any moment in time, somebody would stand up and say, Hey, I deny that. And we're like, well, I'll write that one down. This one goes on the creed, okay? That's basically what happened throughout history. Today we are we are less dealing with merely orthodoxy questions, but more of orthopraxy questions. How must we behave has come much more front and center in our culture. So if we're writing a creed today, we would write more about orthopraxy issues, the things that we do, not just the things that we think. Right? Okay. There was a hand over here. I missed. oh first Kelly and then Lily. Did you want to add anything? You
1: said what I was gonna say. I was just gonna say if you're talking about heresy, you have that element in there. I think about contradicting what is orthodoxy what is
0: highly <coughs> <the body, differently. coughs> Wait, wait, be a little I'm having a hard time hearing you myself. I was just
1: gonna say her- heresy has this element of contradicting what is orthodox. Yes.
0: Yes. The body, the body the Very good. Yes, so the heresy, so what Kelly's saying, she's kind of codifying what what Harrison had said, that we define heresy as things that are heterodox, that they violate orthodoxy, and generally orthodoxy is defined as creedal orthodoxy, right? Now, Peter's, of course, not referring to the creeds because the creeds weren't written. He was writing the source material from which the creeds are drawn, but these essential truths. Okay, Lillian, we're going to move on.
1: I, I, I... Like to think about, I mean, you, you do have absolutely really the self issues, which, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection, of course, like to contradict that would be like the utmost heresy. But I think all of the um, other heresies, really, I think you can look at what is contradicting the name, divine nature, character of God as revealed in the scriptures. Great. That, that um, phrases is not just one verse, but what we yeah. What is orthodox? What is generally an accepted truth of just knowing God as revealed in the Scripture? Yes. But if it, if it's not, uh, but I think I feel like it's good to separate around the nature and the character of God, because the other things, like for instance, we're talking about Joel Osteen. It's like sure, some of this stuff may be extra biblical or maybe anecdotal, but it's not anti-biblical. That's right. But if, if the Bible is really about God revealing Him. In relationship to us, and I, I wondered like that's the core of what we're talking about. To talk about what really makes a heresy worth paying attention to, and what are the other things that we can kind of debate and
0: combination. So you're putting at the center of that okay, so we have got this concentric circles collapsing in, not collapsing in, but working in towards this central thing. Harrison is saying there's things that are more central than others. Kelly's saying, Yeah, but and they're captured in the creeds. And you're saying the bullseye of the bullseye is what is true about God. What is he actually like? right? And if we're saying false things about him, they weren't a dangerous place, okay? I think that's all great, but I want to show you what Peter says too. Quick.
1: So cults pull God down, pull Jesus down, less than divine, and they push man up to be as God. Um, I could give you lots of examples up, time. They pull Jesus
0: down,
1: less than God, they push man up. You can be as
0: God. Thank you. Yes, very good, very good. Okay, now here's, watch. why don't you see what he does? Oh, one more thing, and then I'll show you how, he, how Peter plays it out. Notice this. The thing that strikes me the most about the false teachers here is that they have genuine influence in the actual body of Christ. Look at what he says. They denied us. okay, to a certain extent, like, who cares what they're doing? As long as they're staying in their sandbox just lying to each other, like, you know, have at it. But that's not our situation. He says in this same paragraph, many, he's talking about Christians, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up, right? So, again, people sitting around in some room lying to each other is not as problematic as when they somehow are on your, I don't know, Instagram feed or something. When when, when their books are in your library, when we are reading and are influenced and are unca- incapable of distinguishing between... The truth of God's word, rightly taught by his people, and lies that are really ultimately Satan's tricks that are being, that are being, it's, it's the whole wolves in sheep's clothing. If the wolves were walking around like wolves, they'd be like, oh look, a wolf, but they're all woolly and white and fluffy, and we're like, come on in, right? That's what he's saying. So the thing to note about the false teachers is like, we should always be thoughtful. Who am I listening to? Wh- which podcasts am I getting? Which books am I reading? Because they have long, long, long been seeping into our community. They come into here. You with me? Okay, now, what Peter's going to do, there's a lot of different categories. Oh, Jennifer? Well,
1: someone on our table brought, pointed out the word greed that made me think of what's the motive. Peter's motive was this, and the false, prophet, the false teacher's motives were far different.
0: Yes, absolutely. So for them, they were into this at the end of the day because I can get something out of people, Right? And that works pretty well in lots of situations. Now, if you go through Peter, 2 Peter, you're going to see he, he's not trying to be comprehensive, but he gives us two examples, okay? These are not the only things that false teachers teach falsely about, but he gives us two broad categories. Number one, they, inf- they invite licentiousness. And number two, they deny the second coming. Okay, we'll do the second coming first because that's the one that's maybe most obvious. He says, first of all, this is the right column there, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. You know what they do when they come? They scoff. That's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Scoffers come, scoffing, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Since our fathers died, everyone goes, everything goes on and since it has since the beginning of creation. What's behind that? What are they, when they say, where is this coming, what are they, what are they really saying? Jesus. God's saying? Uh, okay, God is a liar, but why, what? What's, there's a motive behind this. Why are you I'm bothering okay. to walk
1: this life to live this Christian
0: life? Wait, 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 say it again louder hand. Why? What's the
1: point? Why are we even trying?
0: Yes, that's right, that's right. Why bother, And what, Bill? Uh, I mean, they, they want to be saying okay. Yeah, there's never going to be a judgment, okay? What, what they're saying is they're telling you, like, just eat, drink, and be merry. Who cares? Get all you can. There will never be and accounting. That's what they're saying. It's like, you can do whatever you want to do, and there will never be a judgment day. And Peter's like, oh, they're scoffing. They're scoffing at the concept of divine accountability. That the false teachers that Peter is most worried about, this is why it relates back to their licentiousness. They invite you to live a morally reprehensible life because you can. Go ahead, okay? Now, watch this. Now with that, all that said, first thing. They mouth, this is, they invent licentiousness. They mouth empty, boastful words. And by, boastful, it's like I can get away with anything. I am bulletproof. By appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, and let's just pause right there. That gives you so much to work with, right? If you wanted to exploit the world and you decided where am I gonna what what am I gonna bait the hook with? What about the idea that I can do anything sexually that I want to? Do you think that would catch a fish? Yeah. Dear me, okay? By appealing to lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. It means they're going after young, not young Christians, what he's pointing to right there. They promise them freedom, freedom from constraint. You can do whatever you want to do, right? You can do anything in any way, whatever your basic nature calls you to, do that. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And then they're like, and we're going to get away with it. There will never be an accounting. He's saying this is an essential attribute of false teachers. Now, it's it's not comprehensive. There are other ways that people lie to us. But this is an old, old, old game. If we, we who live in 2023 and feel like, we, have never, we are living through the most sexually depraved moment in human history. No, we're not. Are you kidding me? This is a constant reality of all of life. Now, it's manifest in particular ways, particularly today, and maybe it's different from 1950s America, but the Bible was written in first century Rome. We did not invent, we didn't invent these things. This is an old, old story. Alright? Randy? Question.
1: Can you mentioned that they have the
0: uh, well okay so sure so peter is not so much getting into that but yeah exactly but he he is it is very likely the case that people will create an, an an other well it's certainly the case that many false teachers have created an alternative view some would say the material world is all that there is so if you want to have any pleasure in your total existence now is the time Right? That's a, that's a version of it. Others, of course, have a different version of how the afterlife works and what's going to happen for them and how you can obtain it and what you'll be enabled to do. There's a variety of ways. But they're all going to d- deny the central truth that what makes eternity so sweet and precious is what Jesus says in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That what we hope and long for is not just being alive forever, but being alive forever with him. Right, enjoying him, and that is not likely to be a message that the false teachers will peddle. Cool, okay, Tommy.
1: Uh, two nineteen reminds me a little bit of uh, the end of two three. Two three was saying that their condemnation, their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Yeah. And, uh, and then two nineteen is saying that they are slaves of the gravity as they offer freedom. Yes. And so it makes me think of you know the unfortunate situation with Rodney Zacharias. Uh Hidden sin. There was this this destruction that was inherent in his life long before you know his teaching, and then uh, you know this true false teachings.
0: So I, I don't know if you know. Tommy alluding to a, a, a man named Ravi Zacharias, who is, for my money, the single most painful falling of a Christian leader of my, of my lifetime. There's been actually it's it's kind of a long list but almost all of them are not my tribe. All these guys that have crashed and burned, I'm like, well, you know, I didn't like him anyway. <laughs> when Ravi was exposed, that cut, I think, for many of us, because he, I held him in such high regard. It's hard to call him a false teacher because I think the things that he taught were true, but his life did not match his own rhetoric in, in ways that are r- were really grotesque and, and terrifying, frankly, because, man, man, if Ravi is that bad off, like, how... It makes me, it frightens me about me. You know, like, good Lord. Like, how, how capable are we of self-deception as well as deceiving others? Yeah. So there's all kinds of bad stuff. Yeah, you may jump on.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting second so calls in emphasis, takes a lot of pushback from the people there and he, like, retreats from
0: that. And I, I typically think of someone who's, like, trying to mislead someone is they would, like, double down in that situation. Yeah. So I think just understanding yeah, for sure. They've all—they have some kind of a motive that they're going after, and Peter's not having any of it. Right? He's just—he's just, he's just going to call them all out. Now, here's the thing. Last two we almost have a time. Okay, final judgment. Pervading Second Peter is this idea that the we are telling the truth, and they are lying. And it's crucially important that you believe true things. Don't forget them. Remember them. Review them. Understand them. That's the driving thing. He's also going to say oh, and by the way, all those lying liars that are lying to you all the time, judgment is hanging over them and they will be destroyed. Over, and it's a very ferocious book. Okay, final judgment that brings swift destruction on themselves. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, their destruction has not been sleeping. Um, he uses the complete you know, obliteration of everyone in Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Um, the unrighteous are held for the day of God's judgment. They're born to be caught and destroyed. Like beasts, they will perish. They will be paid back with harm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. The day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly is men is coming. They will perish. All the things that they do as they distort the scriptures, they do to their own destruction. One of the really important things to understand this kind of ties in with Quig's sermon, if you already heard it or if you're about to hear it, is the thing that enables Christians to be pacifists, the things that enables us to not be the exactors of justice is not the fact that we think that justice is bad, but that we think that justice is coming. I don't need to do it because he is going to do it. And we're very often are like, yeah, maybe he will and maybe he won't but I'm going to get my licks in while I can, right? That, that tends to be the way we think about things, right? We watch a Clint Eastwood movie or something. We're not waiting for God to execute judgment. Like, I want to do it right now. Peter is telling us, like, listen, he's not just warning. He's not merely warning the false teachers that your day is coming. He is encouraging the believers, like, it's okay. You can take the hit because God is going to make all things right. It, it dovetails very nicely with his letter, his first letter, First Peter, where he's like, we suffer, we suffer unjustly, we take the hit. Jesus on the cross was an example for us of how we should live, right? We're gonna say true things. We're not gonna capitulate to the falsehoods. We will not make things up. We're only gonna teach the truth. We will not forget the things that are true. We will remember the things that are right. But we are not gonna walk around smacking people in the head because we know that the day is coming that God will destroy the wicked. And so it's like, I don't need to. You with me? So when you go through it, watch the language. It's ferocious language, but that ferocious language is meant to stay your hand, not to rile you up. God is the executor of justice. You are not. Believe true things. Remember true things. Say true things. Don't believe the lies and trust the Lord to do things in his own time. Dig it? Okay, final, final thing to set you up for next week, Second Peter 2 in particular, but a little bit bleeds into chapter 3, is unmistakably related to Jude. So we're going to do Jude next week, okay? So Jude is a short little book. When, when you look at it, when we look at Jude, we look at Second Peter, in particular Second Peter 2, it'll be obvious to you that there's enormous correspondence. One of these men read the other's letter. Absolutely, no, no, no doubt about it. And next week we'll do a little bit more of a comparison of how these two letters work. Okay, got it? All for now. <laughs>